You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Joel Snibson. The Bible reading is Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, who loves the Meyer Christmas windows? It's an institution in Melbourne. See the photo on the screen? When we went, it was really crowded. The queue for the displays and the music and the flashing lights was eight people deep. Very busy, very popular. But they also had a window for the humble nativity. And this was the queue. Not a soul. Does the story of Jesus in a manger feel irrelevant to our lives this Christmas? In the face of all the pressures to be generous, buying presents for everyone, the plans to host an amazing Christmas lunch while also paying for it all and holidays too, or with high interest rates squeezing on our budget, inducing stress. Also, with all the horrors of war in our world, the distressing images of limp, bloodied children, our kids' ages in war. How are the events of the humble nativity, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus' birth, the manger surrounded by animals, even relevant to our lives and world right now. We can see the nativity as cute, as for the children, making it completely irrelevant to our busy lives. Well, today we continue in our series, Songs of Salvation, and in Luke, we encounter Mary's song of salvation, often called the Magnificat. If Mary's song anticipating the birth of Jesus what would you think it would be like? Maybe silent night, all is calm, all is bright. Well, Mary's song of salvation is completely surprising. This isn't a pregnant woman quietly singing a sweet lullaby to her stomach. Because of this coming baby, Mary's in the streets singing a revolutionary anthem with unfiltered joy. She's ecstatically praising God because this Jesus is deeply relevant to her world and life. Well, thinking of revolutionary songs, maybe you've seen Les Miserables, the musical set in the French Revolution in the 1800s. You know, the song One Day More is this unifying song in the nation's struggle fighting their oppressor. 
Maybe some modern revolutionary songs include 1970s I Am Woman, giving voice to the feminist struggle for equality. Or John Farnham's You're the Voice. This Aussie anthem is a unifying protest song. Or Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer sings of the working class struggle in a system against us. Revolutionary songs are for those left behind, those being caught up in something bigger than themselves, singing about what could be. Well, Mary praises God for including the excluded in his plans. Just like Hannah's song last week, she starts off singing a deeply personal song of salvation. In this song of revolution, Mary joyfully sings about her story of God's salvation despite her low position in the world. Verses 46 to 48. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. For Mary, the world didn't work for her. She was the ultimate example of an oppressed minority. Possibly around 13 years old, she was female, poor, Jewish from the people occupied by the Romans, and she had less rights and was treated as second class. And Mary was also pregnant. Earlier, the angel Gabriel had appeared to Mary, saying that through the Holy Spirit, she'll conceive and have a baby called Jesus. Her virginity was considered an act of worship, of being faithful to God. And while she was completely faithful, accepting God's wonderful plan of salvation, given the whole divine conception thing, being pregnant out of wedlock could have had ruined her reputation. Mary had every reason to hide and not sing with joy. Maybe you've experienced a moment of this kind of public shame where it's hard to look at people in the eye. But despite uh, her false shame and judgment and exclusion from her community, Mary joyfully took to the streets and praised God. In verse verse 48, amazingly, Mary joyfully sings about being honoured in coming generations. And it's not because she's special in herself, it's despite being poor and excluded by her world. Verse 49, Mary sings, for the mighty one has done great things for me. She sings, experiencing God's mercy. She sings of experiencing God's love and faithfulness and grace personally in her life. Mary's humility meant she knew God owed her nothing, but celebrates because God gives her everything. See, time and time again in the Bible, God is in the business of using weak, excluded people central to his saving purposes. In our first song, Israel were a weak, enslaved nation in Egypt facing being wiped out. Last week, in Hannah's song, she faced infertility and ridicule for it, but God had big plans through her son. And now with his coming baby Jesus, God powerfully includes this unlikely excluded girl to be part of his glorious saving purposes. 
Mary's revolutionary song is deeply relevant to her world and for the lives of coming generations. Mary's song shows that God's mercy demands a joyful response, not fearing powers who oppress, but in verse 50, fearing God. That instead of trusting in and relying on ourselves, rather surrendering and letting God be king and in control of our lives. And because of Mary's humble situation, having no power, wealth, social status to rely on, she didn't have all our distractions from completely casting herself upon God's mercy, wholeheartedly trusting that God is in control of her crazy situation. Well, Mary praises God who overthrows the powerful. Come to verses 53 and 54. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent away the rich empty. Mary sings of God bringing down the rich and powerful while raising up the poor and lonely. Her song of revolution is about God who powerfully overthrows kingdoms of this world on its head. So you might love this. But for others of you, you might find Mary's revolutionary language here really uncomfortable. It could sound like Mary is singing about Jesus bringing socialism as a political answer. We can't deny that this song has language of class warfare, God giving to the economically oppressed from their oppressor. This echoes Hannah's song last week, where Tim described God bringing reversals. And no matter your politics, this baby would lead to a revolution bringing this upside-down kingdom, one where the poor and excluded are brought to the centre and those wielding power are sidelined. And as this baby Jesus grows up, his kingship was different. Instead of being self-interested among the rich and powerful, Jesus takes the side of those excluded. Seeing Jesus' ministry and Luke, the poor are central and describes anyone who are excluded, whether socially or physically with disabilities or financially. And while Jesus takes the side of the poor, being poor doesn't make someone righteous before God. Like in this song in Proverbs, it describes the righteous poor, those who are often oppressed, who don't have the same worldly trappings as the rich. But sometimes there is the unrighteous poor, those who experience the consequences of their bad choices. In Acts, we do see Cornelius, who is righteous using his wealth for God's purposes. And some of you, some of you are wonderful examples of using your wealth for God's kingdom. But we shouldn't overly spiritualize this song. Mary isn't singing about some distant heavenly future, totally unconcerned with her daily struggle. Her song is not a song of incremental change of some other corrupt Jewish king. Mary sings of God's salvation through her baby who comes to make a real difference in her world. But revolutionary songs aren't just about me, but we, right? 
Notice Mary's song about God's salvation shifts from herself to implications for God's people. Mary had been with her cousin, Elizabeth, who was also pregnant, and they shared a dream, Israel's dream. The prophet said would come true that all nations will be blessed through Abraham's family. But for this dream to come true, the system and the powers that enslaved them had to be overthrown. The story of God's people is one of foreign occupation, now under the Roman Empire. Mary's community was the ethnic, religious and political minority with countless stories of oppression and exclusion. In the Christmas story, the very pregnant Mary and Joseph were on the move because the powerful Caesar Augustus, the Roman governor, decreed a census, meaning they had to travel to Bethlehem, Joseph's hometown. This census wasn't like ours, just ticking a few boxes on a Centrelink form. This census involved excessive taxes for the Jews, a flat tax, really hurting the poor families like Mary's making it harder to put food on the table. Just try and picture yourself there over 2,000 years ago in Mary's daily life. For this 13-year-old girl, evil had a Roman uniform. Evil intimidated her patrolling the streets. Evil made her family hungry and hide. Evil's face was on their coins. This was not a lullaby. Mary's in the streets. But you can only praise God in Mary's situation in hunger, poverty, misery and oppression if you have revolutionary hope that strength is now on your side. There was four political groups at the time with very different approaches with dealing with the Romans. The Zealots believed in overthrowing the Romans by force, even with violence. And then there's the Sadducees. They were the religious and political establishment, and they compromised themselves by taking kickbacks from the Romans instead. Then there's the Essenes, and they withdrew from engaging with the world altogether, escaping out to the desert. Think of some remote religious hippie colony. And then there's the Pharisees, who are all about following the law all about piety, and they didn't want to compromise themselves by dealing with the Romans, so also avoided them. But in contrast, Mary's singing in the streets. Her revolutionary song didn't call for human action, but celebrates God's action. Verse 51, Mary sings, He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Just as God mightily parted their seas and saved Israel from their oppressor, through this baby, Mary sings with certain hope of salvation on behalf of awaiting oppressed people. In Jesus, God is faithful to his promises. Jesus will be mighty enough to bring this revolution and be trusted enough with power because this Jesus is God. He's perfectly righteous and just. But this revolution wasn't won politically. 
Jesus didn't overthrow their Roman oppressor through violence or compromise or withdrawing from the world. In Jesus' revolution, he ultimately died under a Roman empire on their cross. But this wasn't defeat, but God's mighty victory for his people. A revolution of God's love, mercy and faithfulness. Dying and rising, Jesus overthrew the corrupt powers of evil to revolutionise our sinful hearts that wants to be self-reliant. And Jesus invites us to trust him, leading us to his better kingdom where the poor and excluded now front and centre in God's purposes. In Jesus' upside-down kingdom, it goes beyond just redistributing power and wealth Jesus' revolution invites us to join Mary in entrusting our entire lives depending on him. Jesus invites us to follow his example, laying our lives down to sacrificially serve, joining God's salvation plan in transforming this broken world. Yet, yes, Jesus' revolution was spiritual. But joining his upside-down kingdom has significant implications relevant for our lives and world. This humble Jesus is deeply relevant, bringing social and political and global implications, transforming societies and people ever since. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we are like zealots and overturn our governments. At the other extreme, it doesn't mean we withdraw and never ever discuss politics like the Essenes. Following Jesus makes us deeply relevant to our world. Jesus is relevant for that marriage in trouble fighting over finances. Jesus is relevant for the single mum who's struggling to buy food, let alone presents for the kids this Christmas. Jesus is relevant for the lonely person completely isolated this Christmas. Jesus is relevant for the wounded orphan toddler in a war zone. But Mary's revolutionary song is about completely depending on God. With all the high interest rates and the flow-on effects, some of you are really doing it tough this Christmas. But when it comes to finances, most of us think we're struggling, right? Yet we know in a global context, economically, we are the rich. Even here in Melbourne, the average family income in Diamond Creek is $2,508 a week. That's over 10 grand a month. And for some context, where I previously lived in St Albans in the West, it's $1,100 per family per week. So on average, we earn two and a half more than families just 30 minutes away where life isn't the same. And I'm not trying to shame us. But unlike Mary, life here works for us. We have power, we have material wealth coming with many opportunities and choices, and we're part of a system that oppresses and excludes others. Mary's poverty didn't make her righteous, but without our power and wealth, she didn't have all our distractions getting in the way of being completely reliant on and loyal to Jesus. Mary's song challenges us. This Christmas, what are our lives really dependent on? See, self-reliance is dangerous. It makes us spiritually poor. This Christmas, we desperately need Jesus' revolution starting in our hearts. 
for this humble baby to be more relevant for our lives and even overthrow some parts of it. If Jesus' kingdom overturns and reverses, how is the Spirit compelling us to hold things of this world more loosely in complete dependence like Mary? Whether we're well off or struggling to make ends meet, how are we being righteous with what we have? To join Jesus' revolution and his upside-down kingdom requires repentance, which means completely changing of directions, turning away from being self-reliant on the powers that this world gives us towards Jesus. Look, money isn't evil, it's a tool. But the love of money looks like idols of security and comfort and acceptance. So you might not be driven by materialism, but are you stressed this Christmas because your excited partner, being all generous, spending up big, is threatening your security, threatening your future proofing, certainty for uncertain times, especially in our current economy? As Mary sings, her life couldn't be more uncertain. Or maybe our stress comes from the idol of impressing others. Honestly, are we running around or stressed, shopping, buying all those presents for all those people, some we don't even like, buying the stuff they don't need to impress them? Look, we may not want gifts, but when it's buying for the kids or the grandkids, we want them to have the best, right? See, as Mary sings, she couldn't be more misunderstood. I'm not saying be Scrooge. The gift of Jesus calls us to be generous. But how about those who desperately need it? Mary's song about this coming Jesus and his better upside-down kingdom invites us to radical trust. And this is relevant for us this Christmas. Practically, how can our joy in Jesus revolutionise our generosity? Against all the currents of accumulating more and more, how can we be generous to those excluded by our world? Maybe with gifts for angel tree, prison fellowship, buying a family in need, a cow through Tia. Mary's revolutionary song is for the excluded. We cannot ignore the emphasis of Mary's personal song, God including the excluded in his saving purposes. As Jesus grew up, his ministry reflected Mary's song. And the first thing Jesus did was revolutionary, getting up in the temple and reading this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. As prophesied by Mary, Jesus' ministry brought the excluded people to the centre of God's purposes in the world. It's wonderful that here at St John's that you support many mission partners those who are in the coalface in various contexts in Australia and overseas, reaching and serving the excluded with the good news of Jesus. Many of you have been wonderfully generous, donating food to our community pantry, and there's been a sharp rise in it being accessed in our current economy. Even working families are really struggling and in need. 
But how can our generosity be more personal, engaging with those who are excluded by the powers of this fallen world? See, like Mary's song, Jesus' revolution goes beyond redistributing power and wealth, but calls us to sacrificially follow our servant king. May our song about Jesus take us to the excluded people and places. Otherwise, we miss something in Mary's song. Let us follow Jesus into the shadows, the broken places in our suburbs, bringing the good news and practical love of Jesus to those who desperately need it. Reflect. How does following Jesus personally cost us? Financially? but also relationally with our time, our most finite resource in our busy lives. Consider serving at Open House or Breakaway Youth or in our new initiative in 2024, Thank God It's Friday, reaching at-risk youth in our community. Statistically, if you took all the Christians in the world and averaged them out, it would be something like a young woman living in a city in South America or Africa. The average Christian globally doesn't have the option to compartmentalize Christianity to just one Sunday service while ignoring the excluded around them. Jesus radically demands the average Christian to an upside down lifestyle, having no time for chasing idols of security, comfort or approval, but rather sacrificially cooking meals looking after orphans with HIV AIDS, being positive influences around youth surrounded by gangs and crime and drugs, being Jesus' hands and feet when no one's watching. Let's not be deceived in this comfort of our suburban bubble here. Reading on in Luke, Jesus' ministry was defined by eating with those excluded in his society, the prostitutes, tax collectors, the poor who could never repay it. Starting with who is already in your life, who in your school, workplace or street, who is an outsider excluded by our world in some way? Who is the spirit putting his finger on asking you to take the risk and reach out to? Invite over for a beer, a meal, even our most important meal, Christmas lunch. It starts with an invite. And together, as we consider local mission possibilities in 2024, be praying that the Holy Spirit guides us to where Jesus wants us to go, to the broken, excluded people and places. Not only about people coming to us, but us going out to them, to the hurting, taking us beyond the comfort and safety we have here. This Christmas, Mary's revolutionary song about this coming Jesus is deeply relevant for our lives and our world and those excluded by it. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.